Grant Sizemore made that video. We're so grateful for him. What a, what a gift he is. Um, and really captured some of, I think, what, what we're doing in this series. This series is called uh, Eating with Jesus. And we're looking at stories throughout the Bible where Jesus ate meals with people, which happens all the time, right? We all eat meals all the time. It makes sense that these stories are the ones that are caption, captured so often. Now, as the world continues to open back up and things begin to shift again, I imagine uh, some people are feeling a lot like this person. I can't wait to be able to see people again. Also me, don't knock unless I married you, birthed you, or ordered food from you. (laughs) And I love that food is on that list, right? Like food is worth opening up the door for. Uh, That's because food is so important and special to us, right? Uh, And it's the very thing that we will knock on someone else's door for, too, just like this little kid. Um, Do we have that picture? Yeah, this is Carter. He knocked on my door to ask if he could have a banana, then left. (laughs) This kid knows what's up. And, And our love of food, sometimes it drives us to share with others because we love it so much we want other people to experience it, like this little kid. My son put some tricks in his ant farm. Instead of eating them, the ants dug up all the dead ants in the farm and piled them on top of the tricks. Not sure what that means, but I'm not eating tricks anymore. (laughs) Yeah. And then there are moments we enjoy food so much that it's kind of like we become oblivious to everything else happening around us, like, like with this little kid. Nothing else matters because the food is so good. Who cares what anyone else is doing, right? Uh, but when it comes to eating, it's not just about the food. It's also about the company. It's about the environment. It's about what happens in those moments, in that spaces, in that time. And so in the Gospels, what is most important is not the food Jesus eats, but who Jesus eats with, who Jesus spends his time with. Because we know eating meals with people, right? It's an intimate thing, right? It's there you get to see whether people wipe their hands on a napkin or their sleeve, right? Whether they lick their fingers or they go to the bathroom and wash them. Whether they pick their teeth when they got something in it or they just let it sit there until they get home, right? Like, we learn a lot about each other when we're eating food. And so Jesus learns a lot. And people learn a a lot about Jesus in these meals together. And this happens in our scripture lesson today. So Jesus goes to eat a meal with some tax collectors. And the religious leaders get a little frustrated by this, and they ask the disciples, what's going on? Why is Jesus doing this? And as we read the text, I want you to pay attention to how the disciples respond. Okay, how do they respond? This comes from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Afterward, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a kiosk for collecting taxes. Jesus said to him, follow me. Levi got up, left everything behind, and followed him. Then Levi threw a great banquet for Jesus in his home. A large number of tax collectors and others sat down with them to eat. The Pharisees and their legal experts grumbled against his disciples, and they said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners to change their hearts and lives. May God add a blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the living out of this scripture. So did you notice how the disciples responded? They didn't. Jesus responded. But not responding 
is also a response, isn't it? So I'm curious, why did the disciples not respond when they were asked? I think part of it ties in with why the religious leaders are upset. So the religious leaders aren't upset that Jesus is eating with tax collectors because their tax collectors are unclean. They're upset because tax collectors are just plain bad people. So the Roman government had like an IRS group as well that would collect taxes that were on the government payroll to do so, but they also hired out people to collect taxes. And by hiring out people, uh, we call it tax farming. So they would get people to buy the taxes that were due, and then these people would go collect those taxes. And they would collect more than the taxes due because they need to recoup their investment, right? Make some extra money. You see how this is like kind of built into the system to create problems right away? Like, oh, what are you going to charge me for taxes so that you can make more money? So this becomes a problem. It allows abuse. And there's even evidence in Egypt that tax collectors would walk around with military and police at times to extort people of their money. And so when we hear tax collectors in the Bible, uh, we shouldn't be thinking about people who are poor or on the margins. We should be thinking about people who are rich and extort people for their own gain, who don't pay attention to other people's needs. Right? They don't care about the common good. And so this is why the religious leaders are upset. And I have to say, I'm kind of on board with them. That no, no, you don't eat with people. You don't share life with people who act this way and live like this. In modern terms, we would think of these people as uh, arms dealers or drug lords or pimps or loan sharks or slum lords, right? People who put their own self-interest above everyone else's. So you could say it's like Jesus' feast with Vladimir Putin. Hmm. So that's why the religious leaders are upset. And I'm wondering, why do the disciples not respond to their question? And I wonder if because it's the disciples are upset too. Because who are the people who have been extorted by the tax collectors? Well, the fishermen. Who are the people who have struggled with these people over the years who keep getting ripped off, keep getting treated unfairly? Well, your regular person. And that's got to be hard to get over. All right, so Jesus goes to Levi, a tax collector, and Levi leaves behind his profession and then uses all that money he has to throw Jesus a big feast and invite all his friends who are also tax collectors. And Jesus says, well, if you're my disciple, you've got to come with me to this feast because that's what disciples do. You do what your rabbi does. Oh, man. So I imagine they're bringing the mood of the party down a little bit. Right? Yeah. The best of us, the best of us, we struggle with grudges and bitterness and anger. So John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he struggled with this too. Uh, in the mid-1700s, he travels to Savannah, Georgia from England uh, to be a missionary and to become a pastor over that kind of colony in Savannah. And while he's there, he uh, falls in love with this woman named Sophie. But he couldn't decide if he would marry her or not. He went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And eventually she was like, look, John, I'm going to get married, and I guess it's not going to be with you. So she goes off, and she gets married to somebody else. And then one day she comes to get communion from the church, and John Wesley will not give it to her. He refuses her communion because he's heartbroken, and he's a little angry, and he's a little bitter. 
And it turns out her father is the mayor of Savannah, Georgia. So John Wesley gets a lawsuit brought out on him. He's supposed to go to court, and he decides instead of going to court, he hops on a ship and sails back to England. Right? How's that for resolving your conflict and your difficulties and your bitterness and your grudges, right? Anyone been there before where you said, yeah, I'd rather just hop on a ship and sail somewhere else than dealing with this, this stuff that I'm carrying around, right? Who would ever be so petty? Well, and the thing about John Wesley is he, he's constantly struggling with this kind of stuff in himself. Uh, he came to be a missionary to Native Americans and to Europeans who had come over there. And what we find writing in his journal, he says, I came to convert Indians, but oh, who will convert me? I came to be a blessing. I came to do, and I find I'm the one in need of conversion. I'm the one in need of repentance. I'm the one in need of transformation. Here he is trying to follow Jesus, finding out he still needs Jesus. And, you know, Jesus talks about this all the time, that the things we carry around in our hearts, those things become the most important things to pay attention to. That a lot of times we focus on our, our actions and our outward things, and absolutely we need to, and a lot of times we don't do the actions we need to. But a lot of that comes back to our heart and what we carry around in our heart. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says uh, that we shouldn't kill, but he also says we shouldn't even carry around hateful feelings or angry feelings about people, right? that there's something about having a pure heart, that having a pure heart, our actions are going to follow that, that not having a pure heart, our actions are going to follow that. Too often, we force these outer actions, and our, our inner remains fully operative with us like cancer. I mean, just notice how many Christians are cruel, petty, holding grudges, unforgiving, racist, classist, right? We, we have all these issues because we haven't dealt with certain things. And so Jesus even seems to teach that if we walk around with hatred and prejudice in our heart and mind all day, morally, we're just as much of a killer as one who pulls out a gun. So we become dealers of death when we carry this stuff around in us. Uh, Richard Rohr, the Franciscan friar, this is what he says. He says, for some reason, many Christians have thought it acceptable to think and feel hatred, negativity, and fear. Jesus tells us not to harbor our hateful anger or call people names in our hearts like fool or worthless person. If we're walking around all day thinking, what idiots? We're living out death, not life. If that's what we think and feel, that's what we will be. Death energy instead of life force. We cannot afford even inner disconnection from love, how we live in our hearts is our real and deepest truth. So Jesus cares about our spirit. Jesus cares about our soul. He calls himself a doctor. Right? And rabbis and teachers like that were called doctors for the soul, doctors for the spirit. He's right? saying, I, I care about what's going on. And, and once you start calling yourself a doctor for the spirit of the soul, you start asking different questions about people. You don't say, you don't show up and say, you need to change what you're doing and you need to act differently because actually I don't see Jesus do that, you know? Um, though Jesus says he came to call people to repent, I can't think of one time 
Jesus ever comes up to someone who's a sinner and says, you've got to change, you've got to repent. Well, I can think of one time. In the Gospel of John, when all these people come to stone this woman, and Jesus says, whoever, whoever has not sinned can cast the first stone. And everybody leaves, and then Jesus says to the woman, go and sin no more. That, for me, that's the only time I can think of. Maybe you can think of some others. But never does Jesus show up and condemn people who are sinners. Maybe the religious leaders who think they're perfect. But not everybody who's actually messing up. Because Jesus is a, a doctor for the soul. So the questions he asks, right, it shifts everything. It's not about, why are you, what are you doing? It's, what does this person need to become a full human? What does this person need for their soul to be healed? What does this person need so that they can love more deeply? Right? That changes the questions, and then all of a sudden, it's, it's about seeing people in a different way. It's not about being a tax collector. It's about teaching people how to love. It's about teaching people how to see deeply. It's about working with the roots of the problem instead of all the symptoms. And so I wonder if Jesus is there teaching the tax collectors something or if he's there teaching his disciples something. If you're going to follow me, you've got to pay attention to this. You've got to pay attention to your heart. You've got to pay attention to what's going on inside of yourself because it changes how you see everybody and everything and the value you put in the questions you ask and how you treat people and whether you're dealing death or you're dealing life when you walk around. And so it comes to a problem of seeing deeply, I think, right? that we want to see deeply. So my friend Asha Jackson, I met her uh, when we traveled to Israel and Jordan together. And she's a, a judge in Atlanta, a superior court judge. She handles felony cases and first-time felony, nonviolent felony cases like shoplifting and possession and things like that. And what she found over time, she's been doing this about 12 years now, is that a lot of the first-time offenders she met, they didn't have the basic skills like education or emotional intelligence or economic stability. And that lacking those things, what she says is, led to a prolonged relationship with justice, right? which is a nice way of putting it. And she knew that there had to be some way to change that, that if they continued down this path, it was just going to be repeated over and over and over again. And a lot of this just came from the environment they lived in. And so she was learning to see deeply, to see that they have value and worth. And when you learn to see deeply, you learn to think differently. And so she started this project called uh, Pinnacle Project, so that instead of the person having to come in and plead guilty, which would go on their permanent record, would negatively impact their jobs, their careers, their uh, accessibility, to all kinds of things in the future. She started this program that they'd have to be a part of, a one-year intensive curriculum where they'd come in and they learn all kinds of things like uh, housing counseling and employment development, and they'd have a mentor that they'd work with. And after the year-long program, they'd have a mentor for 18 more months to walk with them through this as they tried to figure this out. Because she knew, hey, there, there are some things that are deeper than just putting people in jail that we need to pay attention to. And so uh, after she's had over 200 participants go through this program now. I think, I think we have a picture of, of one of those groups that she worked with. 
And, and this is the practice of her seeing deeply, even to the point she, she works over mental health court too. So people come in and she says, you know, when someone has a mental health issues, we put them in prison and we know, we know they get worse in prison. We know that doesn't help anything. So she works to put, connect them with people who can help them with their mental health. Because what she cares about is helping people get better. Which is what Jesus cares about. Which is what we're called to care about. Learning to see deeply, to say, hey, this person has value and this person has worth and this person matters. And so how can I help them recognize that and see that and realize that? And one of the ways Jesus practiced this was eating meals with people who other people thought had no value and worth. Who other people thought were way off base, and maybe they were. But that didn't stop Jesus from saying, hey, maybe this person needs some love. Maybe this person needs some care. Maybe this person needs some attention. Maybe this person needs to know that they have value deeper than what they do. And so that to me becomes the crux of what we're trying to do and how we see people. And when we're able to do that, we're able to love our enemies. The very people who harm us, the very people who attack us, to the most extreme. Maybe you've seen this picture going around, this video going around of the Ukrainians feeding this young Russian uh, soldier. Right, he surrenders and they give him tea and food and they let him call his mother on their cell phone. And this woman says, I, I want to cry from how much I love my country. Right? That you could see deeply enough in somebody to say, hey, this person has value, even though they're literally attacking me. You say, how is that even possible? And it makes our, uh, the things we're holding on to feel so petty. Like, man, if someone can love like that, why can't I? If someone can see someone like that so deeply, why can't I see people in my life that deeply with value and worth? In fact, Jesus goes on the very next chapter. He'll say, uh, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And you may be saying, I could never do that. And what I want to say is, but you must. And I must. We've got to learn to do that. This is an essential piece of our faith. Not because Jesus said it and it's important, yes, because of that, but because that's how we get to our hearts. And that's how we become transformed. And that's how we get to other people's hearts. And that's how they become transformed. Right? So we've got to learn to do it. We, we don't give up. We don't settle by saying it's too hard. Absolutely, it's too hard. But the world's depending on you. And the world's depending on me to learn how to do this. Because if we don't, we'll just keep passing it around and passing it around and passing it around. And I'm not saying we get it ex exactly right or it comes easy. John, it took John Wesley years before he had a conversion experience that changed his heart. So we keep practicing and we keep praying and we keep hoping and we keep trying. We keep, we keep working, right? Which means maybe you need a list of all the people you're holding on to grudges against. A list of all the people you, you have some bitterness for. And maybe you just go down that list and you pray for those people every day. Right? Doesn't mean you have to become best friends. It means can you learn to see deeply. 
Can you allow Jesus to be the doctor for your own spirit and heart and soul? Because if we want to hang out with Jesus, we need to be eating where Jesus is eating. And Jesus is eating with everybody you don't like <laughs> and everybody I don't like, which matters. And so someone, a friend posted this on social media the other day. Uh, he said, and they were at an Ash Wednesday service, and the priest there said, what's the difference between a stick in the mud and a flute? And the priest said, the stick in the mud is full of itself. And the flute has been emptied so that it can make beautiful music. And this is what I think Jesus is asking us to do. Can we be empty of ourselves and all these unhealthy things we carry around so that we can make some beautiful music? So that we can be part of this process, what God is doing in the world? I'm not saying it's easy. Disciples left following Jesus because they said, what you teach is too hard. But Jesus doesn't say you have to be perfect at it and you have to get it right every time. And that if you don't, you're, by golly, you're, you're out of here. No, Jesus said, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. Who are you eating with? Who are you eating with? The invitation is to eat with Jesus. So I hope this Lenten season you will go find Jesus and eat with him and learn to love or at least begin to see deeply. I'm going to take our hands and put them palms up in our lap. And uh, let's do a, a big breath together, in through the nose and out through the mouth. Here we go. In and out. God, we are... We are grateful for how you see us, grateful for how you love us, grateful for how you invite us, but also so deeply challenged by how you call us to live and how you call us to work and pay attention to our hearts and what's going on inside of us so that we can live as fully as you want us to. And so help us be gracious with ourselves and each other and give us the strength to continue doing this work, this important work so that we may be emptied of ourselves and be a part of the music that plays through creation. Through Christ we pray. Amen.